Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We've been very candid on our show about our mental health because it's important to break the stigma and get the help you need to not only achieve your goals, but to just be happy. Not everyone has time to drive to a therapist, which can be anxiety-inducing and a huge time suck. That's why we're partnering with BetterHelp to offer you a better, more cost-effective solution. If finances are a barrier to you getting the help you deserve, they even offer financial aid. BetterHelp is a safe, private online environment where you're paired with a professional, licensed therapist that specializes in areas of interest such as depression, anger, stress, anxiety, family conflicts, LGBT matters, relationships, grief, sleeping, trauma, and self-esteem. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's a professional counseling service that allows you to communicate in under 48 hours, whether that's through private messages, video, or phone sessions, and you can message your counselor anytime. Fun fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states, so you know that you'll be able to find the right counselor for your unique needs. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com listener. Join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash listener. We love you and hope you'll treat yourself to better mental health in 2022. Now on with the show. We are. We are. We are Cultivate. 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 We are Cultivate. The Oracle Network. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. We're continuing Joyful January. Yay. And this week's topic is kind of funny. Okay. I mean, they all kind of been, but we're continuing with it, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking about hat pin protection. Ooh, like using hat pins as protection? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I'm going to like this. I think you will. Beautiful, sharp, stabby stabs. Yep. That are secret. Mm-hmm. Count me in. So information was pulled from the following sources. A 2019 Antique Trader article by Melanie Carnation Thomas. A 2019 Blurred by Lines blog post by Sherry Rose. 2018 History Article by Natalie Zarelli, 2017 Atlas Obscura Article by Natasha Frost, 2017 Chicago Tribune Article by Elizabeth Gruy, I hope I said your name right, and a 2014 Smithsonian Magazine Article by Karen Abbott. And links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. Nice. So we have a segment on this show called Can You Crack the Cramp Word? Mm-hmm. where we have fellow podcasters come on and see if they can guess some Victorian slang terms. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you this one for free since it's a big part of the subject matter today. Uh-oh. So a masher was a term for a man slash men who harassed women in public in a lecherous or predatory way. That's too nice of a name. Mm-hmm. So this harassment could come in any form, 
being overly familiar upon their first meeting, taking liberties, grabbing their arm, etc. Yep. They tended to target young women traveling alone via public transport or on the street or just hanging out in public places. Glad to see things never change. Yep. And some mashers would give the illusion of being a fine gentleman by dressing in their finest clothes, offering a fake smile to earn the ladies' trust. Mm-hmm. We all know how that goes. Still accurate. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the 1800s and early 1900s, women didn't have many means with which to defend themselves from unwanted attention from men, really other than to ignore them. Mm-hmm. And it was only in extreme cases that you'd hear of a woman getting physical with a man in, in an altercation. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I feel like there would be way more risk for the woman, especially if she was to get charged or something. Well, I mean... And being labeled as unruly and no one would marry her. and Or just be thrown into an insane asylum. Yep. Or she's crazy. Or just get the shit beaten out of her. Like if... Yeah. Her attacks on the her attacker didn't work out how she Land. wanted them to. Yeah. Yeah. There was not yield kickboxing for women. No. At the time. This all changed with the rising popularity of the most benign of products, the hat. Advertising started to become more and more geared towards women in the later half of the 1800s. One of the most popular consumer products was hats. The bigger and fancier, the better. That makes sense. I feel like there's hygiene products still kind of made it better for a hat. So one of the most popular consumer goods was hats. The bigger and fancier, the better. If you were a woman of means, you may sport a hat decorated with jewelry or plumage from rare and colorful birds. That checks out. Do you think they ever used dodo bird? Uh, it was probably their feet, though. Like mm, a, a blue? No, what was it? A blue-footed booby? Yeah, blue-footed booby, yeah. Just like blue feet on a hat. Exotic. <laughs> Ooh, fancy. Ooh. As we've discussed previously in our wig snatching episode, during this time in history, women's hair was once again quite high. At this point in time, the Gibson girl look was very fashionable. Ooh. So women would grow their hair long and pin it up, adding cloth and false hair if needed to achieve the desired look. So how the heck did hats work on such high hair? Since the hat couldn't fit directly on the top of the woman's head, because big hair, they required sturdy hardware to pin them in place. Introducing the hat pin. Yeah. The hat pin could be anywhere from 6 to even 12 inches in length. What? The standard size was 8 inches. Why? (laughs) And it wasn't just the hats that were fashionable. Now the pins were as well with elaborately detailed ends to stand out against the extravagant hats that had become a fashion staple. Interesting. So these big hats, which came into fashion in the mid-Victorian era around 1845, would have originally been secured using ribbons. Okay. This changed during the 1890s with the advent of the Gibson girl hairstyle which was accented by lavish hats covered in an array of feather plumes, like I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to back things up just a little bit to tell you the history of the hat pin, because it's actually been around much longer than you might think. That makes sense. Like versions of it. Hat pins actually have been around since the 1400s, when women wore headdresses called wimples to cover their hair and kind of hold it in place. 
Okay, now what is is a wimple kind of like um like a habit? That's what I'm picturing. Yeah, that's kind of like a habit. Yeah. Like a scarf, like a starchy scarf like. Mhm. So it'd be like a headband and like a headscarf all in, yeah. in, in one. So these complex pieces were worn by the aristocracy, not mm-hmm. your everyday housewife. And by the early 1800s, pins increased in popularity for items such as belts and scarves. An article in the San Francisco Call wrote about the hat pins growing popularity in 1898. Quote, it would, when intelligently guided, pick a lock, open an ink bottle, furtively spear a pickle. All at once, the sphere of the hat pin widened. The pin became a weapon of defense. Let the men who have been punctured by it examine their own consciences, end quote. Honestly, having like my own pickle spear uh, as a day-to-day thing is very appealing. Same. Yeah. So the pins themselves would be crafted out of basic metal alloys, so from brass mm-hmm. to silver, and if you were very wealthy, perhaps even from gold. And as the trend increased and the mass production of these pins increased, they were also made from glass and porcelain. I feel like they wouldn't be as good, though, especially if the hat was super heavy. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Be more like a brooch. Maybe. Yeah. I was trying to think, you like, know? porcelain. That wouldn't be... <laughs> I feel like it would break pretty easily, but maybe it was, like, porcelain on top of, like, an alloy, you know? Or maybe just, like, the end was porcelain. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, the ends would incorporate some sort of decoration, perhaps a fake stone. Some of the most desirable and valuable hat pins would have a butterfly or a bug at the end or an authentic gem of some kind. No bugs, please. Thanks. I know. Daddy (laughs) visibly cringed. Other popular items included amber, coral, pearls, gold, enamel, or even something as simple as buttons and beads. I have a feeling this is kind of where berets came from. Barrettes. Yeah, maybe. Mm Mm-hmm. Like those sort of hair pin accessories. Mm -hmm. Because I remember a lot of these from the 90s with pearls and coral and Mm -hmm. bugs. (laughs) All the bugs. All the boogs, the ladybugs in the 90s. Super popular. Mm -hmm. Purple was a popular color choice, even amongst widows. Are they not allowed to wear purple? Typically, if you were in mourning, you'd wear just black. But apparently purple was also allowed. How long? Because I know that like in, in the Victorian era and beforehand, you had to wear black for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it like a year or something? Yeah. And that's Dang. pretty common amongst several sects in Judaism today as well, where you wear mm-hmm. black in mourning for a certain period of time for immediate family members and for your spouse. Um, the lengths sort of differ depending on the affiliation with you. Like if they were a parent, you were for a certain time and for a spouse, it'd be much longer. Yeah. So, yeah. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. We should do a deep dive into that sometime. Mm -hmm. Like some sort of fancy clothes month. Sure. (laughs) Do it during fashion (laughs) week. Yay. Yeah. There you go. I just need to find out when fashion week is. (laughs) So purple was a popular color because shades of purple were considered a morning color. Yeah, it can be pretty dark and still very beautiful. Mm -hmm. So in case you're like, I have no idea how a hat pin works. It's the pin would be inserted on one side of the hat, then woven through the hair before poking out the other side, just like a brooch. 
mm-hmm. or like a, or if you're like pinning like a corsage or something on somebody, yeah. you'd just be using the pin to kind of weave it through and to hold it in place. Mm-hmm. In the late 1880s, women were starting to walk alone or in groups without a male chaperone as they entered the workforce. Additionally, dating rituals were evolving. Men weren't expected to call at the women's home to court her under the supervision of her parents anymore. Oh, yeah. That would be an ugly transitional time. Mm -hmm. Instead, women were being taken to shows and dance halls where they'd mingle freely with the opposite sex. And it wasn't long before these unchaperoned women started to experience sexual harassment on public transport and while on the street in increasing numbers. Awesome. Predictable. Shocker. (laughs) It's a good thing, you know, we've evolved greatly. And this doesn't happen anymore. It's interesting you say that because one of the articles that I used as reference material was comparing this period of time to the Me Too movement. So as a fun aside. All right. In favor of women, not against women. Okay. Not like, not pro-men. Well, yeah. Anyway, I should note that hats and the hat pin did happen to become quite fashionable around the time of the women's suffrage movement. When, shocker, women believe that safely walking the streets should be a human right, regardless of your sex. In a book titled The Hat Pin Menace, American Women Armed and Fashionable, 1887 (laughs) to 1920. I like it. Author Carrie Segrave wrote, quote, Perhaps the only time in American history virtually all American women went out and about armed with the deadly, though legal, weapon, end quote. Nice. And this was officially the start of the hat pin panic. Oh my God, there was a panic? It was called a panic. I should have named the episode that. The hat pin panic. should have. The hat pin panic. Damn it. I'm correcting it. I'm pulling it out of the cubby. Get it's the hat pin panic. Yeah. <laughs> hat pin panic. Hat pin panic. Like, <laughs> women are protecting themselves. We must destroy it. Yeah, that's how this is going to progress. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Initially, injuries via hat pin tended to be accidental and relatively harmless, like getting poked on a full train carriage, which makes sense. Yeah. Or like hurting yourself. Yeah. Because you put it in wrong or somebody bumped you and you're like, oh, there's a pin in my head now. A rather interesting article in The Times noted the following injuries acquired by men attempting to woo a woman donning a hat. Quote, (laughs) Nonetheless, young men with streaky scratches on their right cheek have been turning up at their places of business of late with a variety of explanations savoring Uh of more ingenuity than truth as to how they won their wounds. And most engaged young girls have a hat for evening walks that is independent of hat pins, end quote. Mm -hmm. It quickly became apparent to the women of the day that the oversized pins that had become such an integral part of their everyday lives could double as a way to defend oneself when threatened by a masher. Awesome. It wasn't just mashers that found themselves at the pointy end of a hat pin. Would-be burglars as well had been noted on occasion to face off with a feisty female and walk away with battle wounds to prove it. Nice. That's my purse. I don't know you, hat pin. (laughs) Stab, stab, stab. (laughs) Could you imagine if you were a burglar and you were defeated by a ladybug pin? <laughs> it's got a, it's like a butterfly with like a pearl as a head. Just got stabbed in the cheek. By oh, God. <laughs> in a Chicago suburb, 
Two women circled themselves dual style with their hat pins when the wife, Mrs. Joseph Smith, came upon her husband with his mistress, Mrs. Otto Ekstrand. The pair refused to put them down until the police arrived 20 minutes later. That's amazing. Yeah. It's like lightsabers for Victorian ladies. Yeah. Having a hat pin handy gave women the confidence to strike out on their own, even though they shouldn't need it. A woman in Chicago named Nan Davis, who took late classes downtown, noted the following in a letter she wrote protesting potential legislation that would forbid the use of hat pins. Quote, I always feel safe going home late at night with a hat pin available for protection. Before leaving a streetcar, I always carry a hat pin ready in my hand until I am safe within the door of my house. Thousands of other women undoubtedly can speak from their experience of how a stout hat pin has been an effective defense in times of danger, end quote. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's legislation. Hat pins are too dangerous. Yeah, we'll get into it later. The double use for a hat pin had become so popular and prolific that a music hall ballad had been written about it called Never Go Walking Out Without Your Hat Pin. Oh my God, I love that. So the, the ballad. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear the lyrics? Yes. Okay. I don't know the melody. I'm sure it's there somewhere. I'll have to find it and share it on social, but I'm just going to read it instead of singing it. <laughs> my granny was a very shrewd old lady, the smartest woman that I ever met. She used to say, now listen to me, Sadie. There's one thing that you never must forget. Never go walking out without your hat pin. The law won't let you carry more than that. For if you go walking out without your hat pin, you may lose your head as well as lose your hat. Never go walking out without your hat pin, not even to some very classy joints. For when a fellow sees you've got a hat pin, he's very much more apt to get the point. Nice. That's awesome. I love it so much. Dark, super dark, but great. I love it. Don't get murdered. Also, have fun. Yeah. As you can imagine, men generally hated these hats. (laughs) Not only were the hats ridiculously large, but they also made it impossible to see over them while in a crowd, theater, church, concert hall, or any other venue for that matter. Oh, could you imagine? If she has, like, fake hair and fur and stuff, and then the hat. And it has, like, feathers and stuff on it. She's Dr. Seussing it in front of you. Yeah. (laughs) And you just paid 10 cents (laughs) to go to this theater, and you're like, I'm gonna murder this woman. (laughs) Hey, Big Bird, take off your hat. (laughs) (laughs) She's just littered with hat pins, and you're like, dang it. Please, please take off your hat. I'm I'm outgunned. (laughs) (laughs) Regardless of whether or not they were intentionally used to protect the wearer from unwanted advances, the pins did a decent amount of damage all on their own. When walking in a crowd, you could have your cheeks scratched, narrowly miss getting stabbed in the eye, Mm -hmm. and given how dirty it still was, even the smallest of scratches could lead to nasty, if not deadly, infections. Yeah, that all checks out. Like when they said like, oh, you could get scratched on the train, I'm like... And then your face falls off. Yeah. And you get the gangrene. And then you go into a factory where they have that, like, green color. Radium. Yeah. Yeah, they're by hands and cheeks. Accidents were prone to happen. The Los Angeles Herald noted in 1910, 
Oh, yeah. This is one of the only episodes where I'm going to go past the 1900s. I'm breaking the 1900s rule for because this episode. Because of how good the story is? Because of how good this stuff is and because it only goes slightly past the 1900s. So I'm breaking my own rules for this episode alone. How dare you? But go on. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so the Los Angeles Herald noted in 1910 that one woman's hat pin stabbed and scarred a man's chin while in the New York Times, they noted a case of a wayward football driving a passing woman's hat pin into her own head. No, no, nope. Mm -mm. But that was a ladybug, too. And those Did footballs you? back then were like giant balls. Like they yes. weren't like the little things heavy, we play with today. Heavy. Yeah. In January 1898... A woman named Sadie Williams was riding on the Blue Island Avenue cable car on her way to a funeral when two men jumped on the car and attacked the conductor when he was bent over to shovel more coal into the stove. Aww. Sadie was one of two passengers in the car at the time as the conductor struggled to free himself from his attackers who were rifling through his pockets. Awesome. Sadie stood up and yelled at them, see here, you can't fight here before one of the men hit her and pushed her down into the nearest seat. She stood up again, pulled a long pin out of her hat, then, quote, holding it like a dagger, end quote, <laughs> plunged it into the man's chest. <laughs> oh, that escalated quickly. Yep. He must have really shoved her. Yeah. Well, and he hit her first, so who yeah. knows how he hit her. Another event that took place in Chicago in February of 1898 saw a Parisian tourist named Bartholomew Brandt Bradner, try saying that three times wow, fast, that's quite the name, murdered by a hat pin at a local saloon. Yeah, that, honestly, that's the kind of name that would be associated with an obituary being murdered by a hat pin. <laughs> that sounds awful, but like, it's yeah. Okay, so how? Yeah, the Times reported, quote, a small puncture which began near the corner of the left eye and expanded no! far into the interior of the skull. I hate it. I hate it so much. Why do they put it in the eye? I don't know. End quote. <laughs> the full story of what actually happened, unfortunately, died with Bartholomew. No one knows what caused the incident. But yeah, he was essentially so stabbed through the eye and murdered that's that way. That's quite the murder pact that, that that group of people has then that witnessed it. <laughs> no one saw nothing. Right. What pin? <laughs> what beautiful butterfly pin with pearls <laughs> and tiger's Gemstones. eye. Another incident involved a young woman named Sadie Williams. Did I read this one already? Yeah. Did you just put it in twice on accident? I did. There's more information in this part. Okay. Okay. So she stabbed him. Yeah. And when he turned to attack her again, she stabbed him again and he ran off the streetcar. And Sadie continued to be a badass by stabbing the other robber in the cheek, which prompted the man to pass out. <laughs> oh, no. After confirming that the conductor was fine, Sadie ended up passing out herself before later being escorted home. <laughs> So she never did make it to the funeral. Oh, Hopefully it wasn't Over. someone she was very close to. Right. Similarly, in 1901, four women between the ages of 17 and 20 were crossing a bridge in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, when two men stopped them and started assaulting two of the women in the group. Mm. During the scuffle, 
one woman yelled, use your hat pins. And the girls oh, no. started stabbing their attackers, <laughs> causing the men to flee. Oh, no. I just love that that's a thing. Like, girl, you forgot your hat pin. And you're like, oh, yeah, right. Stab, 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 stab. Stab, stab, Oh, that's why I included so many of these stories, because they're great. <laughs> oh, no. Rosa Wilson was on a New York City streetcar in 1903 when a male passenger boarded the streetcar and stood right in front of her, facing her. Yeah. He started to insistently nudge her with his leg, maintaining eye contact. Gross. This made me really mad as I was typing it. Rosa reached a point where she wasn't going to have it anymore and took out her nine-inch hat pin, which she promptly stabbed the man in the leg with multiple times before he screamed in pain and quickly exited the streetcar. When Rosa was later interviewed, she stated quite plainly that she intended to treat every masher who accosted her in the exact same way. (laughs) You come at me, I'm going to stab you in the leg all the times. (laughs) Another famous event involved a woman named Leodi Blaker, who was visiting New York City. On May 28, 1903, she was riding in a crowded stagecoach when the man sitting next to her settled a bit too close for her liking. The man, elderly and elegantly dressed, didn't seem to notice when the stagecoach jumped again upon picking up speed, and he found himself not only touching her hip to hip, shoulder to shoulder, but also had conveniently found his arm slung low across her back. Gross. Mm Mm-hmm. Funny how gravity works. Yeah. It was at this point, no pun intended, that Leodi had had it, and after pulling her nearly one foot long hat pin out of her hair, she plunged it into the man's arm. Dang. After understandably screaming, he left at the next stop. When interviewed by the New York World about the incident, Leodi told them, quote, he was such a nice looking old gentleman, I was sorry to hurt him. I've heard about Broadway mashers and L mashers, but I didn't know Fifth Avenue had a particular brand of its own. If New York women will tolerate mashing, Kansas girls will not, end quote. Oh, nice. <laughs> She's like, look, I'm in, I'm from out of town. Fuck y'all. I'm a get you. I'm a get you. I'm a get you. A news article was published in Chicago applauding a woman's stabbing of a man who, quote, tried to put a chloroform rag over her nose, end quote. I am proud that she did it in time mm-hmm. because chloroform can work fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. So she must have seen it coming because, mm-hmm. well, uh, or she just happened to uh, have it handy. Positive side too is chloroform brags like, you know, <laughs> those yeah. are so usually like super gross. You're like, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> I can smell it coming. Fun fact. Oh, On September 30th, 1900, President Theodore Roosevelt was speaking at a rally and shared that, quote, no man, however courageous he may be, likes to face a resolute woman with a hat pin in her hand, end quote. That's right, Teddy. I love Teddy Roosevelt. I lost (laughs) the quote, but it was something where he was speaking at this rally and like the men were blocking the women's view of the president as he was talking. So they started stabbing the guys with their hat pins to get him out of the way. And he thought it was hilarious. He was he was like That's all awesome. for it. You know, suffragists. Right. You go, Teddy. The New York Tribune published an instructional how-to article teaching women how to use hat pins as defensive weapons. 
This article was reprinted in newspapers around the country, arguing that they were better weapons for women than guns. Well, it's good for close combat. Unless the other person has a gun, in which case, good luck. (laughs) You just throw the hat pin and run. (laughs) Hope you're good at darts. (laughs) Hope it's not too bottom heavy. You know, now I now all I can imagine is like who's who's one of the the bigger like explosion e director guys? Who did the Transformer movie? Michael Bay. Michael Bay. I can just see him doing like a hat pin movie and like Megan Fox throws a hat pin into the barrel of a gun as it's shooting and explodes and like destroys ten men or something. It like pushes the bullet back into the gun barrel and then yeah. it explodes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can see it. Right? I can see it. TM, TM, TM. <laughs> September 2022. <laughs> Megan Fox. I don't know. Christian hat pin Bale. Pan- and hat pin hat panic. Pin, hat pin panic. <laughs> On the streets of Chicago. <laughs> In 1898. <laughs> Not today, Gregory. <laughs> I said good day, Edward. <laughs> <laughs> Elodie fights back. <laughs> <laughs> So the article posed the question, quote, what then can be provided for her that will be formidable to a foe, yet absolutely safe, so far as she is concerned, and ever ready at hand, whether wanted to use or not, end quote. Mm -hmm. In the article, they address that question with the following, quote, there are times in every woman's life when a suspicious looking character arrives on the scene and a voice whispers to the woman, beware of him. While most women would shrink from pulling out a revolver, it is an innocent act to put the hand to the hat and draw out one of her stiletto-like hat pins, end quote. It's true. Other self-defense manuals were written, such as one by a woman named Mademoiselle Galas, who advised women to use a combination of hat pin stabbing, umbrella work, and jujitsu to fend off men. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Mademoiselle. (laughs) Jesus. But now that's part of the Michael Bay movie where (laughs) Megan Fox graduates and throws an umbrella to distract them while she shoots pins through the umbrella so that they don't see it's coming. They're like, oh, uh, uh." it's like all eye work. And then she does it like Jackie Chan style where she like throws the umbrella, but then catches it and then uses it again with like jujitsu moves. Yeah. Yeah, and her, like, Brazilian friend taught her how. Mm-hmm. And they just go to, like, the World's Fair or some shit. Yep. And then they end up getting murdered in the murder castle. But anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> no sequel. <laughs> no sequel. Michael Bay still finds a way. <laughs> she didn't turn into soap. Zombie happened. <laughs> She's now a zombie. She used that chloroform rag to not die when the gas came through. <laughs> anyway many judges actually sided with the women in question during trials that would result from them defending themselves against mashers Mm -hmm. in 1902 a young woman from st louis was brought to court after stabbing a man with her hat pin in this case justice robertson stated quote i think you were justified in using the hat pin on him if you had stabbed him a few times more i believe you would have done right end quote Dang. Way to go, Judge. It won't surprise you to learn that men in power soon started to take steps to make hat pins illegal. Ah, surprise. 
After all, this was the first time that they'd ever had to really worry about women fighting back against their advances. <laughs> Can't have that. No. Because not only were hat pins a menace to men, think of the children. Oh, no. Actually, that is kind of concerning. <laughs> like, children will get stabbed by a hat pin yeah. on accident. <laughs> it's like as long as they are tall. Like, <laughs> You're like patting your baby on your shoulder and you pull them back and the hat's <laughs> attached to their face. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. <laughs> Not scary. another one. <laughs> Has a piercing before they're cool. <laughs> That's how eyebrow piercings began. Happens. <laughs> Accidental happens. Hey, it's kind of nice. I like that butterfly there. No, oh, that's pretty. It's pretty butterfly. As we know, it's far easier to take protection away from women than to fix the issue of male misogyny and sexual aggression. What? After a time, the general populace, a.k.a. men, started to get fed up with hats, and hat pins in particular. It wasn't long before theaters and churches started requesting that ladies not wear large hats inside. You So you can no longer conceal and carry. No. <laughs> Dang. Suffragists vehemently rejected the idea that was put forth by the Chicago Vice Commission that unchaperoned women could avoid unwanted attention if they dressed more modestly and didn't have painted cheeks, red lips, or show off their ankles. There it is. Yep. Yep. Tale as old as time. Literally. Yep. Yep. The definition of quote-unquote harassment was loose at best, if not virtually non-existent at this time in history. Considering it wasn't illegal, it was, of course, the woman's job to make sure she didn't end up in a situation where she could be attacked or verbally abused in public. Awesome. Between 1908 and 1909, judges in Illinois, Arkansas, and even as far away as England were limiting the legal length of a hat pin to nine inches in an effort to reduce the number of incidents. In 1910, lawmakers around the world, from Chicago and Kansas City to Hamburg and Paris, started writing up legislation to limit the length of hat pins or require women to put a protective sheath over the tips. Just put a cork on the end of it. (laughs) Pink condoms. (laughs) Hair condoms. (laughs) Women living in Chicago could find themselves fined $50 or $1,300 a day. For wearing a hat pin that was more than nine inches in length. That's intense. Similar ordinances were instated in cities around the United States, from New Orleans to Pittsburgh. Nan Davis, who I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. appeared before the Chicago City Council on behalf of several women's clubs in protest of the ordinance and told the committee, quote, If the men of Chicago want to take the hat pins away from us, let them make the streets safe. No man has a right to tell me how I shall dress and what I shall wear, end quote. Heck yeah. Pray for my cold, dead hands, bitch. (laughs) I am Nan Davis. (laughs) Even with these laws on the books, it was very rare that they were actually enforced. Policemen were hesitant to approach women in the streets to punish them. (laughs) And men were terrified (laughs) to ride public transit and risk getting stabbed by any number of hat pins. Yeah. Got a big meeting today. Can't look stabbed <laughs> during the meeting. Can't have a pin hanging out of my eye. Nope. There were incidents of women being arrested and forced to pay medical expenses for their assailants. 
such as actress Ava Tanguay, who was forced to pay for medical treatment for a stagehand in 1911 after she fought back his unwanted advances with her hairpin. That's just adding yeah. insult. Because, of course, it was her fault for being too sexy. Yep. As you can imagine, women didn't take very kindly to these new laws. In Sydney, Australia, 60 women were arrested and sent to jail in November of 1912 for refusing to pay the fines they'd been issued for their overlong hat pins. Nice. Of the event, the Times wrote, quote, They declare that the law prohibiting protruding hat pins is iniquitous and unnecessary legislation, and they will not submit to it. What is more, if they are kept in jail long, they will starve themselves to death. So there now. End quote. So there now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> bitch. <laughs> it's, you should... it's like the early 1900s way of saying bitch. <laughs> I was just going to say, you should have that as a, can you crank the crap word? So there now. <laughs> like, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Congratulations. Here's a sticker. <laughs> In 1912, Elizabeth Foley, an 18-year-old woman, was walking home with her male colleague when they were assaulted from behind. Her colleague was struck hard in the head. In his pocket was the entire payroll for the staff. Oh, no. Elizabeth reached for her hat pin and aimed it right for the robber's face, preventing the theft. Nice. The era of the hat pin ended in the late 1910s when lobbyists called for the end of the needless killing of birds, whose plumage was used to create a number of stylish hats. In fact, the number of birds that were being slaughtered each year in the name of fashion was in the thousands, if not millions. Lobbyists were fearing the extinction of the birds that were being killed. So in 1918, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act was passed making it illegal to kill, sell, or transport certain birds and feathers. Good. Yeah. The hat pin panic likely would have continued to escalate until the U.S. entered World War I. When we needed the metal. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Ladies, bring your hat pins so we can melt them down. Yeah. By the start of the 1920s, long hair was out of fashion as women were chopping it off into bobs and discarding their hats in flavor of cloches, which are those bell-shaped hats. Mm -hmm. Tam-o'-shanters, which are like a beret, but it's tilted in the front instead of towards the side. Interesting. And turbans, which became quite popular. They did. You can see them in a lot of movies of the time. Mm -hmm. And that is the history of the hat pen panic. Nice. I like it. And I also like that Teddy Roosevelt was like, you go, girl. I know. (laughs) I'd rather see them instead of you, too. (laughs) (laughs) My fellow citizens, our Earth is in the middle of a crisis, plunging deeper into chaos. No, I feel your pain and your loss. We can't stand idly by and let this happen. We must rise up and... (coughs) (coughs) Sorry. Damn it. Well, this is awkward. Hi, my name is Josh Shell, and I am the host of the Let's Start a Cult podcast, where each episode, myself and some guests take a look at different cults from around the world, for educational purposes only, and definitely not to start our own cult. Join me every other week as we break down dangerous religious cults, political extremist groups, and every other kind of cult in between. Should I apologize for the terrible southern accent? No? Okay. 
Subscribe and listen to Let's Start a Cult anywhere you listen to podcasts. This week's podcast plug is the Let's Start a Cult podcast from our friend Josh, who is one of the founding members of the Cultivate Network. Nice. On Josh's show, he discusses a variety of, you guessed it, cults with the guests and how their charismatic leaders were able to convince their followers to commit any number of things. Mm-hmm. I've gotten a chance to be a guest on at least once, but the offer is always on the table if he'd like me back. <laughs> <laughs> If you're looking for a less serious take on cults with a healthy dose of humor thrown in, I highly recommend you check out Let's Start a Cult. Awesome. And we will have a link to his show in the show notes. And this week's listener question comes from our friend Tom. Hi, Tom. He says, the internet slash telephone system just completely collapsed. How are you filling your days? Playing with my dog. I think I'll let the the little one just run. (laughs) (laughs) You can play with the torn down wires that are no longer electrified. I don't know. Just go outside, take a bath, cook. I'd do a lot of things. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd feel a little freer. What mm-hmm. about you? I would just read all the books that are just sitting on my shelf that I have yeah. not read yet. I own so many yeah. books. I had wanted to count them before we started recording, but I totally forgot. But I know there's a significant number of books on my shelves that I have not read yet. So. Nice. Yeah, I would just read all the books and go outside nice. at some point. It'd be nice. <laughs> it would suck to not be able to like contact loved ones that don't live close by, but it's also like I don't, I wouldn't have a job, so yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah, either. I do something else. You could still use the mail. Oh my god, just like social media marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Back to like coupons. Coupons. Get like, your coupons. Like old Sears catalogs. Mm-hmm. Have oh you God. have you dabbed today? Have you dabbed the G- lately? <laughs> the JCPenney kids toys. Catalog. Oh my God. Like the Christmas catalog was like where it's at. It was as big as the phone book. I remember just drooling over all of the fun like play sets. Mm-hmm. And mom and dad were like, this is stupid. Like, why do you want a mini house? <laughs> And I'm like, because it's a miniature house built for me. Because like, I'm a giant in this house. <laughs> this saucepan is my perfect size. <laughs> and it cooks plastic bananas. I want it for like $300. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Good luck. Well, on that note, what's something good you'd like to share? Thing good. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting to get our kitchen together a little bit. So we're going to get, we got some more, like we got a microwave and a toaster and some other like utensils. Like we got to walk and stuff, but we don't have any places to put it. So the microwave's just sitting <laughs> in the box <laughs> waiting, but we're getting some shelving to put it on this weekend. And so house is just kind of coming together a bit and it's nice because I re- I love cooking and baking. And one thing I realized I didn't have is I don't have a mixer or a whisk right now. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of hard. I can't make anything with egg whites, essentially, unless I want to break my hand. So <laughs> that's kind of the next thing. But yeah, that's, that's my good thing, getting stuff together. What about you? So I think it was it was either earlier this week or it was last weekend. I can't remember because 
Time doesn't make sense to me anymore. <laughs> time is just a concept. But I opened up the anniversary gifts that Ashley and Emily sent me for because we had our one year anniversary at the beginning of January for pineapple pizza. Nice. <laughs> and Emily sent me uh, like a cashmere blanket with Tom Hiddleston on it. <laughs> nice. Of course. I haven't shown it to Thomas yet. I wanted to get a reaction video of me holding it and him being like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I still have to do that. Ah. <laughs> what is this? Why do you have this? So, yeah. Nice. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We're also on Facebook at yieldcrimepodcast and on YouTube. So you should subscribe. Subscribe. We have a P.O. box, so you can send us things in the mail. I should check that tomorrow now that I'm thinking about it. You can write to us at Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, your story suggestions, gifts. Animated gifts are always fun. Yes, we do enjoy them. If you'd like to support the show but can't do so financially, consider leaving a five-star rating and review. It takes just a couple minutes of your time, and it means a great deal to us. Mm-hmm. You can leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, and Spotify. And this week's review comes from Disappointed0990 on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> but their review wasn't disappointing. Okay, good. It says, history, check, true crime, check, almost listen, exclamation point, five stars. History from yesteryear explained beautifully. I'm a buff of both, and Lindsay and Madison don't disappoint, giving you the bare details of some of history's gone but not forgotten cases. The hosts have great chemistry, which makes the show feel as if you're sitting at the cool kids' table but actually learning something. And we love sibling podcasts because we are one too. Great job, ladies. Keep them coming. Rashad. Thank you, Rashad. Thank you. If you want to support us financially, I mean, you can. Uh, we're not going to say no at all. Yeah. <laughs> Never not once. You can support us on Buy Me a Coffee for a one-time donation. You can also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month and get early ad-free access of all of our content and some extra bonus content that doesn't get published on our regular feed. If you'd like Ooh. to support us with merch, you can go over to our Redbubble store. As I mentioned, we still have our Tee Public shop open for the moment as we're migrating things over. And I will let y'all know when everything is fully migrated to Redbubble and when Public is no longer a thing. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.